Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. Uh, as we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning. And welcome to Teddy Talks for today, Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. I'm your host, Joe Wiegand. I'm delighted to be with you today. Again, coming to you from Medora, North Dakota, along the Little Missouri, bisected by the Northern Pacific Railroad. And uh, it was here that Theodore Roosevelt came to make his mark as a young cattle rancher. He'd been a young member of the New York General Assembly, uh, Young married man expecting his first child, uh, he would return uh, the following year, a widower. Uh, his sister, Anna Roosevelt, would raise his daughter, Alice. His wife, Alice, had died just after childbirth. Theodore Roosevelt had, in the fall of 1883, come here to hunt a bison bull. And after two weeks of misadventures, he was successful before returning to uh, his uh, home in New York City. Uh, he was having a home built out in uh, Oyster Bay, Long Island at Cove Neck. We now know it as Sagamore Hill. Well, before he returned uh, to New York, he, he wrote a letter to his wife explaining that he was now uh, a, a cattle rancher and she a cattle rancher's wife. He purchased cattle, hired Sylvain Ferris and William Merrifield to run the operation at the Maltese Cross Ranch. And that winter of 83, 84, those men built the Maltese Cross Cabin, which today is here, ready to greet you at Theodore Roosevelt National Park in the region that Theodore Roosevelt said the romance of his life began. He said he would have never been president, but for his experiences in North Dakota in great part why a Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library and Museum is being built uh, here in the Badlands of North Dakota. We are looking forward. There's a lot more people coming to town now, and we're looking forward to hosting them this Memorial Day weekend at the Bully Pulpit Golf Course. Uh, some entertainments uh, getting planned for this weekend. Again, everybody wanting to make sure that we do so in the most responsible way as your hosts. So uh, today is May 19th, and on this date in history, uh, in United States history, and again, uh, we're not going to do a lot of modern history, and that's controversial enough, and we can all uh, debate those sorts of things, and it's okay to debate uh, the right and the wrong of our history a century and a half and more ago. 
But on this date, May 19, 1828, United States President John Quincy Adams signs the Tariff of 1828 into law, uh, protecting wool manufacturers in the United States. The subsequent decade becomes a decade under which tariffs, uh, that's the taxing of imports into this country, usually specified by categories of product, uh, it was to both uh, protect our manufacturers, uh, uh, nascent manufacturing uh, community here, uh, sometimes our agricultural producers, and also to raise revenue for the United States government, it being uh, the primary source of, of revenue uh, in the United States. Adams would go on, John Quincy Adams, son of a president himself, would go on to return to the United States House of Representatives and participate in some of the great debates of the 1830s during the Jackson administration. The whole concept of uh, the the possibility that uh, General Jackson might lead uh, federal troops as president down into South Carolina to quell rebellion. And John C. Calhoun, the South Carolinian, others, South Carolina, the state legislature had passed uh, articles of nullification uh, that uh, they would be able to nullify uh, federal laws if they contravened their interpretation of the United States Constitution or the Tenth Amendment. And so, uh, it was uh, on this date in 1828 that one of those great uh, logs was put on the fire of uh, uh, controversy uh, under John Quincy Adams. May 19, 1848, the Mexican-American War. Mexico ratifies the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Uh, the Americans had done so uh, uh, previously, thus ending the war and ceding California, Nevada, Utah, most of Arizona, and portions of Colorado and New Mexico to the United States. Uh, for which we paid $15 million. May 19, 1897, uh, the birth of Frank Luke, an American lieutenant and pilot, Medal of Honor recipient. He died in 1918 in the fields of France. Uh, his story is so very similar to that of young Quentin Roosevelt. Uh, Luke uh, was from Arizona, and uh, he was known as the uh, Arizona Balloon Popper. Uh, he had, amongst the many downed uh, uh, German aircraft in France, uh, many of their observation balloons. Luke Air Force Base uh, nearby to uh, Phoenix, named for Frank Luke, uh, who was born this day, 1897. Uh, his uh, birth year and death year uh, mirror those of Quentin Roosevelt. May 19, 1899, Governor Theodore Roosevelt uh, made an address to the Civic Club in New York City. We'll have a speech today from the 1903 travels of President Theodore Roosevelt. May 19th included whistle stops in Carson City, Nevada, Truckee, California, Colfax, California, and Auburn, California. Colfax, by the way, named for former Vice President of the United States, Colfax, uh, during, I think, the first term of, of Grant. Uh, May 19th, 1903 as well, uh, remarks at the park in Sacramento. We'll have now a, a remark shortly uh, from a speech made at the state capitol grounds by President Theodore Roosevelt, May 19th, 1903. But uh, our uh, latter dates of uh, history, just about TR's time, May 19th, 1911, Parks Canada, the world's first National Park Service, is established as the Dominion Parks Branch under the Canadian Department of the Interior. We were five years behind Parks Canada in establishing our National Park Service. Our first national park, Yellowstone, predates uh, the first national parks of Canada. And how we enjoy here being so close to the Canadian border when our friends, especially from uh, 
uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, uh, southeastern Ontario, and, and of course we find the Quebecois everywhere, do we not? We enjoy hosting them here, and uh, especially on your Canadian holidays. Tell your Canadian cousins to come on down and visit us in Medora this summer. May 19th, 1911, uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt spoke at a U.S. naturalization ceremony at the U.S. District Court Federal Building in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, by the way, that is now the Theodore Roosevelt Federal Courthouse in Brooklyn. May 19th, 1916, the president made a speech about righteous peace and national unity in Detroit, Michigan. Of course, this is still 11 months prior to our entering the war. And uh, May 19, 1921, the United States Congress passes the Emergency Quota Act, establishing national quotas on immigration. Uh, this is an act that uh, most observers of immigration will um, note that we sort of locked in a uh, European uh, um, dominant system of uh, uh, bringing new immigrants, allowing new immigrants into the country. Very limited immigration allowed from uh, uh, Asian, uh, African countries. May 19, 1935, our last little bit of history on this date, the uh, death of T.E. Lawrence, the British colonel, an archaeologist, uh, doing my math, uh, looks like he died at the age of just 47, born in 1888. He, of course, is the Lawrence of Arabia uh, that we know, uh, a wonderful uh, book of his recollections of his role in the uh, First World War, on behalf of the British uh, uh, sovereign in uh, the region of the Middle East, uh, uh, Turkey, Accra, uh, down through uh, what we call now Palestine, uh, the uh, mountains and deserts of modern day Syria. Uh, it was told to us by uh, Lowell Thomas, uh, uh, a, uh, a journalist who covered and actually had film of uh, uh, Colonel Lawrence uh, in Arabia. Uh, this becomes a, a wonderful movie. Uh, is it uh, is it Michael O'Toole? Oh, one of our Hollywood friends. Uh, tell us who stars in that great film. If you're still looking for movies to watch, it's interesting how sometimes my references to history bring about good movies in Lawrence of Arabia. Or if you like a book, uh, get uh, Colonel Lawrence's The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Of course, this is uh, a reflective of uh, uh, a uh, core of the Muslim faith, and Theodore Roosevelt would have wrote of the Mohammedan faith, uh, just as we speak of ourselves as Christians, uh, the uh, uh, Mohammedan, Muhammad being the founder of uh, Islam. Uh, uh, it's uh, a change in, in language, but anyway, I sort of seem to have stumbled through this date in history. One nice speech from Theodore Roosevelt today. Uh, tomorrow will be the same. Tomorrow's speech will be from uh, May 20th, 1901, when then 42-year-old Vice President Theodore Roosevelt speaks at the inauguration of the Pan-American Expo in Buffalo, New York, electrified by the hydropower of Niagara Falls, and of course a dark and gloomy place then, September 14, 1901, President McKinley dead, uh, and uh, Theodore Roosevelt taking the oath of office as our 26th president. But the, uh, the hope and optimism of that opening speech from May 20th, 1901, our subject matter tomorrow. Today, Theodore Roosevelt, President of the United States at the Capitol Building in Sacramento, California. Mr. Mayor, and you, my fellow citizens, 
It is a great pleasure to have the chance of meeting you here in the capital city of your wonderful state. In greeting all of you, I know that the others will not grudge my saying a special word of acknowledgement to those who met, whose metal rang true on war's red touchstone, to the men to whom we owe it that we have tonight one country, or that there is a president to speak to you, the men of the Grand Army, the veterans of the Great War. I wish also to express at this time my acknowledgement to my escort, the National Guard, many of them my comrades in the Lesser War of 98. You see, in 98 we had a difficulty from which you were wholly free in 61, because with us there was not enough war to go around. I have enjoyed to the full my visit to California. I have come across the continent from the east to the west, and now beyond the west to California, for California stands by itself. I have enjoyed every hour of my stay here. I have just come from a four days rest in the Yosemite, and I wish to say one word to you here in the capital city of California about certain of your great natural resources, your forests, and the water supply coming from the streams that find their sources among the forests of the mountains. California possesses a wonderful climate, a wonderful soil, and throughout the portions that I have visited, it is literally astounding to see how the land yields a hundred and a thousand fold when water is put upon it. And where it is possible to irrigate the land, the result is, of course, far better than having to depend upon rainfall anywhere, but no small part of the prosperity of California in the hotter and drier agricultural regions depends upon the preservation of her water supply. And the water supply cannot be preserved because they are the, uh, and the water supply cannot be preserved unless the forests are preserved. As regards some of the trees, I want them preserved because they are the only things of their kind in the world. Lying out at night under those giant sequoias was like lying in a temple built by no hand of man, a temple grander than any human architect could by any possibility build. And I hope for the preservation of the groves of giant trees simply because it would be a shame to our civilization to let them disappear. They are monuments in themselves. I ask for the preservation of the other forests on the grounds of wise and far-sighted economic policy. I do not ask that lumbering be stopped at all. On the contrary, I ask that the forests be kept for use in lumbering, only that they be so used that not only shall we here, this generation, get the benefit for the next few years, but that our children and our children's children shall get the benefit. In California, I am impressed by how great the state is, but I am even more impressed by the immensely greater greatness that lies in the future, and I ask that your marvelous natural resources be handed on unimpaired to your posterity. We are not building this country of ours for a day. It is to last through the ages. We stand on the threshold of a new century, we look into the dim years that rise before us, knowing that if we are true, the generations that succeed us here shall fall heir to a heritage such as has never been known before. 
I ask that we keep in mind not only our own interests, but the interests of our children. Any generation fit to do its work must work for the future, for the people of the future, as well as for itself. You, men of the Civil War, fought from 61 to 65 for the Union of that day. Yes, and for the Union that was to stand while nations stand in the hereafter. You fought to make the flag that had been rent asunder once more whole and without a seam, and to float over you and to float over all who come after you likewise. You fought for the future. You fought for the looming greatness of the Republic in the centuries that were to come. And now I ask that we, in fulfilling the duties of citizenship, keep our gaze fixed likewise on the days that are to come after us. You are building here this great state, within whose bounds lies an area as great as an old world empire, a state with a commerce already vast, but with a commerce which within the century that has now opened shall cover and dominate the entire Pacific Ocean. You are building your factories, you are tilling the fields, businessman, professional man, farmer, wage worker, all here in this state see a future of unknown possibilities opening before them. I earnestly ask that you see to it that your resources, by use, are perpetuated for the use of the peoples yet unborn. Use them, but in using, keep and preserve them. Keep the waters, keep the forests, Use your lands as you use your bays, your harbors, as you use the cities here, so that by the very fact of the use they will become more valuable as possessions. I have spoken of the material things, of the things which are indispensable as the foundation, the base of national greatness. We must care for the body first. We must see to it that our tremendous industrial development goes on, that the well-being continues, that the soil yields its wealth in the future as it has in the past, aye, and tenfold more. We cannot for one moment afford to underestimate the vital importance of that material well-being, of the prosperity which we so abundantly enjoy. But I ask also that you remember the things of the mind and the soul as well as the body, Nothing has struck me more in going through California than the interest you are paying to the cause of education, than the way in which your citizens evidently realize that upon the proper training of the children, of those who are to be the men and women of a score of years hence, depends the ultimate welfare of the Republic. Let me draw a lesson from you, the men of the Civil War. You needed strong bodies, you needed the supplies, the arms, but more than all, you needed the hearts that drove the bodies into battle. What distinguished our men was the spirit that drove them onward to effort and to strife, onward into action, onward through the march, through the long months of waiting in camp, onward through the fiery ordeal of battle, when men's souls were winnowed out as before the judgment seat. You then rose level to the duty that was before you, because of the spirit that burned within your hearts, because you had in you the capacity of generous enthusiasm for the lofty ideal, because you realized that there was something above the body and greater than the body. And now, my fellows, men and women of California, men and women of the American Union, 
I ask throughout this country that our people keep in their hearts the capacity of devotion to what stands above mere bodily welfare, to the welfare of the spirit, of the mind, of the soul. I ask that we have strong bodies, well cared for, well clothed, well housed. I ask for what is better than a strong body, a sane mind. And I ask finally for what counts for more than body, for more than mind, for character. Character which in the last analysis tells most in settling the welfare of either a nation or an individual. Character into which many elements enter, but three above all. In the first place as a foundation, decency, honesty, morality, the quality that makes a man a good husband, a good neighbor, a man who deals fairly and squarely with those about him, who does his duty to those around him and to the state, and that is not enough. Decency and honesty are not enough. Just as in the Civil War you needed patriotism first, uh, but it made no matter how patriotic a man was, if he ran away you could do nothing with him. So in civic life you must have decency and honesty, for without them uh, ability makes a man only the more dangerous to his fellows, the greater force for evil. Just again as in the Civil War, if a man did not have in him the capacity of loyalty to his fellows, loyalty to his regiment, loyalty to the flag, if he did not have in him that capacity, uh, the abler he was, the worse he was to have in the army. So it is now in civil life. The abler a man is, if he has not the root of righteousness in him, the more dangerous a foe to decent government he is. We shall never, never rise level to the needs of our nation until we make it understood that the scoundrel who succeeds is to be hunted down by public opinion, by the condemnation and scorn of his fellows, exactly as we hunt down the weaker scoundrel who fails. But that is not enough. Decency and honesty are a basis, but that is all. I do not care how moral a man is, if his morality is only good while he sits at home in his own parlor. You can do nothing with him. Scant is the use we have for the timid good. In the war you needed patriotism, and then you needed the fighting edge. You had to have it. So in civil life we need the spirit of decency, of honesty, and then, in addition, the quality of courage, of hardihood, of manliness that makes a man fit to go out into the hurly-burly and do a man's work in the world. That must come too, and that is not enough. I do not care how moral a man is and how brave he is. If he is a natural-born fool, you can do nothing with him. I ask then for decency as the foundation, for courage and manliness thereon, and finally, in addition to both, I ask for common sense as the moderator and guide of both. My fellow countrymen, I believe in you. I believe in your future. I believe in the future of the American Republic, because I believe that the average American citizen has in him just those qualities, the qualities of honesty, the quality of courage, and the quality of common sense. While we keep in the community the power of adherence to a lofty ideal, and at the same time the power to attempt its realization by practical methods, we can be sure that our progress in the future will be even more rapid than our progress has been in the past, and that in the century now opening, in the centuries that succeeded, this country, already the greatest republic upon which the sun has ever shone, 
will attain a position of prominence in the world's history that will dwarf into insignificance all that has ever been done before. Theodore Roosevelt, I hope inspiring you and yours. Feel free to share Teddy Talks with family and friends. My thanks to Dylan Olson and Justin Fisk and others that make this available as a podcast on Spotify or YouTube. I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of these days, 26 days with the 26th president during the month of May, every Monday through Saturday. So we've got a bit of a run-up. I will be doing a program on Memorial Day morning, uh, May 25th. Very much looking forward to seeing you here at Teddy Talks. Tomorrow, the opening of the Pan American Expo in uh, Buffalo, New York. Goodbye. Good luck. Hope to see you tomorrow.